Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you to uh, Kathy and to Frank and Lacey and James and uh, just a wonderful, sweet time of, of worship uh, this morning. I uh, want to thank everyone uh, for coming and worshiping with us and a special welcome to those that are uh, joining us online as well. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at the very first part of the Gospel of John, and I would like to read just those first 18 verses uh, for us. If you have a copy of Scripture with you, you can turn to John chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 18. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us, that you have come and dwelt among us in the form of your Son, Jesus. I pray this morning that we would experience your presence as we look at him whom you have sent, but also as we lean on and listen to and learn from your Holy Spirit moving inside of us. We pray that it would all be for your glory to lift high the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, I hope and trust uh, you all had a, a good and, and wonderful uh, and blessed Christmas. Uh, I very much enjoyed uh, my, my Christmas here, my first in Canada, uh, as well as um, uh, some time away. Uh, I enjoyed a, a number of Christmas gifts. I really do uh, appreciate many of the uh, uh, the things that people have blessed me with, I got no fewer than four coffee mugs. Um, so people are beginning to understand me and my addictions. Uh, these are, uh, this is not a joke, these are two of the coffee mugs that I received from some of you. 
okay? So it seems I'm getting other reputations as well. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where on earth I am getting this reputation that whatever you say to me could be used in a sermon. But anyway, I'd also like to read some of the cards uh, that people have given to me and written very personal things. Uh, no, I, 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 uh, in all seriousness, I am, as the, uh, the senior pastor at my church in, in Nebraska, uh, he would say, Daniel is a words guy. Uh, and that has maybe many layers of meaning, but I, I love thoughtful words. I love the use of words and the power of words and, and the... Uh, the feelings and the impressions that words can make, they can change the world, really and truly. And uh, these two cards that I received in particular, outside of the fact that they both have glitter on them, which I believe at the end of the millennium will be cast into the lake of fire uh, and good riddance, <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. Other than that, some of the most really wonderful and thoughtful things that people said Dear Mead family, very thankful for your presence here in our community. Or thank you for coming to live among us as a representative of Jesus. And I say those things not, not to, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but, but to say that those words really mean a lot to me. That is really and truly very encouraging for me, and I can't tell you how much it means to me. To, to receive things like that. Uh, because there are times when, as, a, as an immigrant family, it's very difficult and we think, oh, it's, it's hard uh, kind of uprooting a family of six, uh, putting our kids into a new school and, and a, uh, a language that they don't speak uh, and systems that we're still getting used to and, and cultural differences and, and just all of the, the, the ins and outs of an immigration process. And, and there are times when it really feels like, is, is it worth it? Is it are, are we even making a difference? Does it matter that we've come here? Um, maybe just as easily the church could have gotten someone who is a little more local, someone who had more experience and maybe we're not fighting so many of these difficulties. And um, and it is truly an encouragement. And I, I believe that there is something central to the gospel of this idea of ministry in an incarnational way. And that is what we are looking at this morning as we open up John's gospel. And what I want you to get out of this morning is this idea that genuine love shows up. Genuine love shows up. And as we open this study of John, it's important to note just a few things. First off, John is, is very different than the other Gospels. The other three Gospels are often called the synoptic Gospels because of how much content and style and form they have in common. John is not like that, okay? He is the weirdo of the four. Uh, you know, I have four boys and I can think, okay, Matthew, yeah, there's the John. Uh, no, I'm... I'm teasing, of course. Um, but uh, John is, is different. The others are very orderly and organized, even if you can think of uh, uh, the first part of Luke where he says, uh, you know, I, I am sitting down to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. This is my goal. Uh, John does not do that. He starts kind of very, very big picture, very nebulous, very sort of abstract concepts in what he wants to talk about who Jesus is. And, and John is not meant to be um, 
something that's comprehensive. Um, in fact, John's gospel is meant to be less of a historical record of Jesus' life, but more of a theological meditation on its significance. That is not to say that it is not historically accurate, that we cannot trust the facts of uh, the, the, the gospel as presented by John, but it's important to note its purpose. It's important to keep in mind what it is John the author is trying to communicate big picture wise in the book of John. And in fact, as you read through the gospel of John at the very end of it in chapter 20, he tells you, he is open about saying, hey, this is not meant to be comprehensive. In fact, many other things happened in Jesus' life. I am sure other people will write about them. They'll be recorded elsewhere. There's so much more we could say. But I have chosen this set of stories, this particular subset, because I feel like it's just enough for you to understand who Jesus is and for you to believe that he is the Christ and that you can have life in his name. And that's important, and we'll get to that in just a second, why that's such a big deal. But he starts out just very kind of big picture. In the beginning, I think very deliberately sort of evoking this idea of the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning when there was nothing except for God. And by the way, Jesus was there too. He is putting him on the same level as God, the Father, the creator of the universe. And in fact, in, even in the way he kind of talks about Jesus in these big, broad, you know, deified, celestial terms in this first chapter of John, it gives this idea that we get elsewhere in Scripture, both in Genesis and even if you recall from the first part of Hebrews when we were studying that, where the, the author says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. This is how God is revealing himself to us through the person of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, that's how we know and understand and see God. That's what we're doing in the first chapter of John. Even this word, word, kind of carries a lot of weight. I'll back up and, and look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and you'll notice in my copy of Scripture, probably in yours as well, Word is capitalized. This is such a big, I mean, this is a much bigger concept even than just like a spoken word, especially in, in Greek philosophy, there was this sort of grand picture, this all-encompassing everything essence this purpose, this meaning, that's, that's the word. That is the word that, that John uses here to describe Jesus. This sort of all everything creator Lord was there at the beginning. That's who God is and that's who Jesus is. And he, he keeps going in this, this kind of big picture idea through the first chapter. The first chapter of John is, is kind of like a prologue to the whole gospel. As you get through, there are kind of two big parts to the gospel of John where you have a whole bunch of uh, miracles or acts or signs that Jesus does to demonstrate who he is. And there is that follows a sort of uh, let's say, conversation uh, with the Pharisees, to put it nicely, um, about what that is and who he is and why he did that. 
And so you have this miracle and discourse. And then the second chapter is a lot of, or the second half of John is a lot of Jesus' teaching. And so we start here with this prologue where it's sort of very big picture. Even in the first chapter, as your, your eyes just kind of glance over the whole first chapter, just in chapter one, he uses words like the word, true light, one and only son, lamb of God, rabbi or teacher, Messiah, son of God, king of Israel, son of man. These big kind of broad terms to really set up who Jesus is and who we are talking about and putting him on the same level with God the Father, the creator and Lord of all the universe. As, as Paul describes it in the first two chapters of Colossians, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He had all the fullness of God, he says it twice in these first two chapters, dwells in the person of Jesus. That is who we are dealing with. And John, uh, much like Mark, starts his gospel with John the Baptist. And you might think, okay, what, huh, what's that about? That's an unusual choice. But it sets the stage for Jesus' identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And the people, especially his audience, they would understand for that to happen, there would be a forerunner like Elijah. And Dave talked about that last week. I'm very grateful uh, and want to affirm all that he uh, taught last week. And, and so, what, you know, that's ground I don't have to go over because you all are experts by now. That they knew and understood for the Messiah to come, there would be someone in the spirit and the power of Elijah coming before him. That's who John the Baptist is. That's why John opens his gospel by talking about John the Baptist. And then he talks about this, this light. You know, he's, he mentions John, the he here in verse 7 is John coming as a witness to bear witness about the light. The light coming into the world. In fact, this beautiful, glorious light um, that, that the darkness cannot overcome. You know, if you, if you have ever been in a really dark place, quite literally, we've had a power outage uh, recently, you, you know it doesn't take that much light for you to see. Uh, a few years ago, we went and uh, we explored some caves in Colorado, and as we're going in there, one of the things that the docent does is she says, all right, everybody know where you are, stand still, don't move around, and then turns off the lights, and it is a scary and disorienting thing. And it does not, I mean, someone's little watch light is all that it takes to sort of illuminate it a little bit. There is no amount of darkness that overcomes light. That's how light works. It dispels the darkness. I think even of uh, some of the songs that we sang this morning, there's no shadow you won't light up. You bring light to the darkness. These are words that we sing to describe God, and this is the same way that John is describing God, and specifically the Son of God, Jesus, as this light coming into the world. And so if we have in our minds big picture, big, broad idea of who Jesus is because of who God is, what John says next is really scandal. What John says next is really going to blow your mind. 
He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Don't miss how incredible and even a little bit subversive this is. And I, I was trying to think about different analogies, and I want you to imagine for a moment, if we could you know, take this as a thought experiment, I want, I want you to imagine Prince William. If you know who he is, he is the, the next in line to the throne of the United Kingdom and 14 other dominions, 14 other realms, uh, including Canada. He's a very important guy. If he's wearing all of his stuff, he's laid down with medals and ribbons and epaulets, and he's got many, many titles. He's got a lot of land. Uh, he has many people who work for him. And I want you to imagine someone as high up and as important as Prince William. And then I want you to imagine what it would be like if you saw Prince William and you wanted to run toward him in order to give him a great big hug and even tackle him to the ground. I imagine at the very least you would be prevented from doing so. You would be stopped. Uh, more than likely you would be shot before you got to do uh, that very act. And yet, there are at least three people in this world who get to do that. There are at least three people in the world who can run towards Prince William in all of his grandeur and glory to hug him and tackle him and kiss him, his kids. They get that kind of access. They are not going to be prevented from doing that. They don't have to present their credentials before coming in and running up to not Prince William, they just call him dad, I think, probably, I don't know. It'd be strange if I make your, that's your highness. No, uh, but they have a different relationship with him than anybody else does in this world. Don't miss for a second what it is that John is suggesting here. John has the audacity to suggest that we get to approach someone way higher, way more important, far greater and more eminent, even than Prince William or a king, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence and everything in it. Not just does he have subjects, everything, all of creation is subject to him. He is holy and awesome and sovereign, and yet we get to be called not servants or subjects, not assistants, not even disciples or followers. We get to be called children. We get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's really cool. That's really spectacular. And that, that identity, that changes everything in the way that we interact with God. If we think of ourselves as employees, that doesn't quite cut it. I am an employee. There, there, there is a board that sits, and they, if they wanted to, if it was their pleasure to do so, they could fire me and dismiss me, and that's that. And I imagine there are certain things that would warrant that. 
there are certain things that I could do that would make me no longer an employee here. And maybe those of you that are employees, you can imagine certain behaviors that you would do that would make you no longer an employee or a servant or an assistant or whatever. When you are a son or a daughter, there is no amount of misbehavior or transgression that makes you not a son or daughter anymore. No amount of misbehavior threatens a child's status as son or daughter. And that's what John is saying that we get with the most high God, the creator of the universe. Nothing that you do threatens his love for you. No infraction or misbehavior or misstep will threaten your status as a son of God, as a daughter of God, as a child of the Lord of all creation. How awesome is that? That's what John is suggesting here. That's what John is saying is at stake when you come to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. How is it that he does that? How is it that he could possibly create that kind of relationship between us and the Father, God, Creator, Lord of the universe? Well, how he does it is this. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. A few weeks ago, I talked a little bit about the story of uh, Jesus calming the storm from within the boat. He steps into the boat. And here this morning, I want to unpack this a little bit more, because this is the doctrine of incarnation. This is what happens when Jesus enters our humanity. He shows up. Now, I, I have no position to speculate how God could work or should have worked or how, how otherwise he ought to have worked. I don't get to say any of that. I imagine God can do whatever he wants to do and could have reconciled this relationship between us and him any number of ways. And yet the way that he chose to do this is to enter our humanity, is to he himself slip into this world and to come and be with us in the flesh, the word this all-encompassing creator God, this essence, this high purpose he became a human being. He entered our humanity and he dwelt among us. And as we encountered him, we saw the very glory of God, God himself. And I just find that incredible. Because I think that is this ultimate act of love. Genuine love shows up. He enters our humanity. He chooses to become a human being. And he enters a world of frustration and strife and puberty and pesky little brothers and paying taxes and weird back hair that shows up in your 30s and, and betrayal by some of your closest friends and death and people passing away and loved ones having to say goodbye, he enters into all of it because that's love. He wants to come and be with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
genuine love shows up. And this, this word dwelt, it's actually different than the word uh, I alluded to before, what Paul uses uh, in Colossians where he says, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. This is a different word. The word that he uses here is, is a simple word in Greek, and yet it carries so much freight with it. The word he uses is the same word for tent or tabernacle. The word, the God of the universe came and he pitched his tent with us. He tabernacled among us. And if you recall from our study in Hebrews, or maybe even as we were looking at the book of Haggai, the role of the tabernacle or the temple was this special, set-apart, holy place where humanity could encounter God, where we could come and meet God. And John is saying here, Jesus came to us and he himself becomes our temple. He himself says, you want to encounter God? You want to meet with God? You want to hear from God? You want to experience the presence and the power and the might and the glory of God? Here I am. That's what the incarnation is. It's God coming and dwelling among us. And that's what we celebrate at this time of year. Yesterday is something, if, if you follow the uh, liturgical calendar, uh, there's something called epiphany. And epiphany, maybe you're familiar with the word, is a sense of, aha, I've had an epiphany. It just means suddenly appearing, suddenly coming. In epiphany, we celebrate the incarnation, the coming of God as a man, as a human boy into this world. And this is tied to Christmas as well. They are inextricable. Christmas is this celebration that God has come, but not just sent his Messiah. He himself has come and entered our humanity. Think of the Gospels that we read at Christmas time last month. And he, which is the angel Gabriel, comes to Mary and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. His genuine love shows up. Or even in the Gospel of Matthew, he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah when he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because genuine love shows up. It is because Jesus shows up, because of the incarnation, that we can experience God that we get to see who God is and what he is like, and even more than that, believe in him, receive life more abundant, and become sons and daughters of God. Amen. That's what the incarnation does. That's what the incarnation gives to us in access to God. All throughout the book of John, we have this notion of coming and being invited to experience God. And so we're calling this series, Come and See. And the phrase itself comes from a story later on in chapter one, and I hope that you read it this week. But in chapter one, uh, Philip and Nathaniel have this conversation. Philip comes to Nathaniel and he says, the Messiah is here, we've found him, he's here. 
tell me about it. Well, it's this guy. He's from Nazareth. And he goes, hang on, hang on. The Messiah wasn't supposed to come from Nazareth. What he says is something a little more snarky, but that's, you know. No, 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 no. If I'm reading scripture right, that's not right. Nazareth isn't right. And what Philip says to, or what Nathaniel says to Philip is, just come and see. And all throughout this gospel of John, what I hope to get uh, what I hope to challenge you with and what I, what I hope that you see is John is inviting us to set aside the expectations and the assumptions that we have about who the Messiah ought to be and instead simply come and experience Jesus on his terms. To come and listen and see. Come and see. And maybe you're with us and you don't know Jesus personally. Maybe you don't believe that Jesus really truly is the Son of God or the Messiah, the sent one, whatever that means. Let me just invite you to come read and study the book of John with us. Let Jesus himself do the talking. Look at what Jesus says and does. Set aside the assumptions or the expectations that you have about who God is and experience God on his terms. That's what John is inviting us to do throughout this gospel. So what? What do we do with this? What do we do with the incarnation that God became flesh and dwelt among us 2,000 years ago? I've got kind of three big ideas on this. The first is the incarnation should encourage us to confess our sins with confidence. Here's what I mean by that. Because Jesus has come and experienced life on earth, we can come to him with open hearts and minds and confess our sins because he's experienced it all. He has been through it. In fact, if you recall from our study of Hebrews, the author puts it this way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here's the author's so what? Here's his therefore. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We should never be timid or ashamed to talk to God about what we are struggling with or what we have failed short on or what we really just still don't understand. We should always be able to come to God with boldness and confidence because he has been there. Christ himself has dwelt among us and experienced life in all of the ways that you and I experience it as well. And so it should, the incarnation should cause us to come to God with more confidence. The second is this, the, the incarnation should inform our understanding of missions. If genuine love shows up, We need to understand that the way that we preach the gospel, the way that we make disciples, the way that we teach all the nations everything that Jesus commanded his disciples to teach others, there must be some aspect of showing up that comes into that. 
I was uh, chatting with Paul a few weeks ago um, about the, the first time he did a, a family Christmas missions trip uh, to Jamaica and trying to, uh, you know, coordinate some of the details and talking with somebody and he said, so what do, we, what do we need to bring? What do we need to prepare? Uh, what, what resources can we buy? What do we build to put together? And the person said, listen, listen, don't worry about bringing anything. Just show up. Just come. And I think that that is more than half the battle. When you show up, when you go and you go in the flesh, it communicates something. Genuine love shows up. And the way that we do missions and think about missions and support missions ought to be informed by Jesus' example of incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am a firm believer, if you get me started on missiological trends and issues and, and strategy, I could go on, okay? And I am a firm believer that we mess this up a lot and that quite often uh, we would do better to send money um, and to support local projects and to affirm national leaders in all of those. That is all still true. What I am saying is nothing replaces going in person, in the flesh, yourself. Nothing communicates love the same way that, tr that crossing whatever gap there is does and showing up. Genuine love shows up. And last, I think the incarnation should produce in us a ministry of presence. A ministry of presence. Here's what I mean by that. I think oftentimes when we are trying to love other people well, especially when people are sad or in really, really hard times, maybe there's been a tragedy or a loss and they're just in the depths. If you're like me, sometimes we struggle with this idea of like, what, what do I say? What, do I, what, what magic words could I say that will make it better? And the answer is there aren't. <laughs> there is nothing. Believe me. When people are really at their lowest in those valleys, there is not some magic phrase that you can use that will make everything better. What I think sometimes is needed is a ministry of presence. Let me tell you a story. Uh, we, we have four young boys, um, and obviously I don't have a favorite, but if I did, it'd be Thacker. And when Thacker was three years old... Sorry, three weeks old, thank you. When Thacker was three weeks old, this is why it's good. Get yourselves a good uh, spouse who will be here to correct you in real time so you don't have to do it later. Thank you, I appreciate that. My fact checker, yes. When Thacker was three weeks old, he caught a very nasty bout of RSV. And in fact, he stopped breathing. I was uh, teaching an English class um, at uh, the church where I, I worked and I got a call from my wife. It lasted about eight seconds. She was in uh, hysterics, and they were justifiable uh, hysterics. Our son had stopped breathing. We called the ambulance. I made it home very quickly. I don't mind telling you. I, I broke a few laws uh, getting home. And he was rushed to the hospital, and it was one of the scariest nights of my life. I didn't know what was going on. And the next day, because I was at church when this happened, and I left in a hurry, some dear friends of ours heard what had happened. Uh, 
dear, dear uh, surrogate grandparents to our boys while we were there. Candy and Chick. Uh, his name is Charles. He's gone by Chick his whole life. Um, uh, whatever joke you're thinking of, he's heard it. Yep. <laughs> but uh, Chick was in a Bible study the next morning, and he heard about this. Somebody mentioned it as a prayer request, and he just couldn't focus. And what happened was, 20 to 25 minutes later, there's a knock at my door. Victoria's at the hospital with Thacker. I'm home with the other two. Uh, I'm fretting. There's a knock at my door, and Chick is there, and he is quite visibly emotional. And he, he, he said, I, I just had to come. I just had to come. And I am sure there were comforting words that they said. I am sure because, you know, I, I know Candy and Chick well that they brought us food and did other things for us. But what I remember the most is Chick coming in and saying, I just had to come. I didn't know what else to do. I just had to come. And I imagine those of you that have experienced real pain, you've experienced really hard times in your life, or you've experienced death, you remember people that were there. You remember people who sat with you and cried with you and maybe didn't say a word. That's a ministry of presence. And learn to limit your words. When you are trying hard to minister to people, five words is enough. Limit yourself to a five-word phrase. I just had to come. Can I bring you dinner? How can I pray? Four words, but we're, we're economical on that one. <laughs> Learn to incorporate some of these short phrases into your Rolodex, into your, your, your lexicon in, in the way that you minister to people during those hard times. Because a ministry of presence speaks volumes. Why? Because genuine love shows up. That's what the incarnation teaches us. I am really excited about this study in the Gospel of John. Come and see. And through this study, there's a, a few things that you need to know. The first is that we are not going to be going through it word for word, as we have tried to do other times. We're going to limit this study to about 14 weeks. Um, what I would like for you to do is to set aside any expectations or assumptions or preconceived notions that you might have about what the Son of God or the Messiah should be and come at it with an open mind to come and see and experience God on his terms, to experience Christ in a way that he says, just watch me, just listen, come and see. The other thing that we're going to do is, every week I've got a reading plan, and I will uh, be preaching from somewhere in that section on Sunday, and then you can read along with us. And I hope over the next three months, you do read through the Gospel of John. Whether as a family, as an individual, or maybe even your life group, you would like to do this together with us. Wonderful. What we have done is we have put together a reading plan. If you go to hcclinuxville.ca slash 
John. You'll see that reading plan. You can also find it on the app, on our Church Center app. There's an easy way to, excuse me, to access that, and you can see that. Not only will that be the passage for the week, this week that's John 1.1 through John 2.22, but I've also written up some discussion questions. If that is helpful for you, great, wonderful, to God be the glory. If that's not helpful for you, ignore it, throw it away. I'm not even a little bit offended. I told you I have four boys. I've got very thick skin, all right? (laughs) If that is something that you want to do as a family, as an individual, or even as a life group, great. You'll find that each week on this reading plan page. And I hope that it is... um, uh, a blessing to you. I am really excited about this study in John. I'm excited about all of the ways that we're going to see why Jesus came in the flesh, why he became incarnate and dwelt among us. We're going to see that he came to confound expectations. We're going to see that he came as a son introducing us to his father. We're going to see that he came as a bright light to a dark world. We're going to see that he came as a good shepherd, willing to lay down his life for his sheep. We're going to see that he came so that we would have life and have it more abundant. We're going to see that he came so that we would understand finally what the Old Testament prophets were talking about. But more than anything else, most importantly, before we consider anything else, He came because genuine love shows up. God, thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the gift of your presence in the form of your son, Jesus. We pray that we would, through this study, experience his presence, that we would be so moved in the way that we do missions, in the way that we confess our sins, in the way that we minister to others just in a ministry of presence. I pray that we would be so touched by your presence in our lives through your Holy Spirit filling us that we would be a blessing and a ministry to others as we love well with our ministry of presence. We pray it all so that you would be lifted high and that others would be drawn to you in the name of your son, Jesus. We pray, son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.